Welcome to Canada's Musical Mosaic. I'm your host, Rhea Beaumont. In this episode, we continue with part two of the interview with Bruce Coburn. There wasn't really that much um, to fear. I mean, I was afraid in the abstract. Uh, the sec- second time, second or third time I was in Nicaragua, we were traveling in, I wasn't with an official group. I was with, with some people I knew, but... Uh, but we were traveling in in uh, Contra territory, and it, they were active, uh, and uh, like we had seen evidence of that activity the same day, right around where we were, and that was a little bit nervous-inducing, you know. So that 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 um, you know, I was trying to think of what do I do if they, you know, if we get accosted by these guys, like because. I don't really want to get shot, and I don't want to more more than more than that. I don't want to become, uh, you know, a prisoner of theirs because they weren't famous for, for treating their prisoners well. In the end, nothing happened. Wow. Well, luckily, yes, you have traveled the world. The political events and everything you've seen have provided inspiration for your lyrics. But you also played with musicians in the countries that you talk about in your book. And then you incorporated these musical influences from, quote-unquote, world music that you heard firsthand when you were traveling. And they feature very prominently on your albums, especially Chronic Nights. It just kind of goes back to the, what I said earlier about, about not growing up in a tradition and not feeling beholden to any particular uh, artistic past. That, that uh, I was free to be any kind of cultural pirate I wanted to be. And uh, that's how I felt. I mean, we talk now, uh, you know, in the last decade about cultural imperialism and, and cultural colonialism and so on. But uh, that's a relatively new argument. And uh, back in the 70s, when I, when I made a point of listening to music from everywhere, it was, in a way, uh, it was partly just curiosity. And I discovered a lot of interesting stuff in doing that. But uh, and partly looking for inspiration, and I thought that was a legitimate search. It's it's a the, the desire to make music is a human thing, and uh, every culture has their own take on it, and sometimes the, those things can be blended. I mean, sometimes the attempts to blend the music of different cultures it produces atrocious music, <laughs> but. Sometimes it works, and and uh, you know now you know I think the the problem that's arisen that 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 people see now is that it is a, a result of the commercialization of everything, and everything in our current uh, culture is commercialized. So you know things what what was once uh, African music and uh, a certain kind of Indian music and a certain kind of Vietnamese music or whatever else uh, has become world music and that's as a saleable commodity Uh, and and that's a disservice to the to the origins of the music often you forget you know that that uh, you listen to music a musician from Mali and 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 who sounds like he's playing blues but he's playing the real music of Mali and it's one of the one of the places the blues came from, 
and by way of the slave trade. So you, you know, there's there's also that rather unfortunate resonance. You know, there's a lot to think about with all this stuff. And but I think that it's important to respect your sources and to and to acknowledge them. To me, it is. I, you know, I think that that it's. I think it's fair enough. Uh, to to use elements, artistic elements from other cultures, but I I, mm-hmm. um, I think you have to say where where you got them. <laughs> well, that's true. You're exactly right. It's it's very important to acknowledge the source. Yeah, you're known as a touring artist as well as a recording artist, but your 2020 tour for Crowing Ignites was postponed due to the pandemic. Are you planning yet for 2021, or are you now looking at 2022? Or maybe the question to ask you is, when the travel restrictions are lifted, uh, where would you like to go that you've never been, or what would you like to do next post-pandemic? Well, I'm, I'm not sure that I'll be doing any really exotic travel, but uh, we had a whole bunch of touring lined up, some of which has been uh, moved to 2021. To about a year from now, some of which has, has just got cancelled. So we'll be looking for when when things open up. We'll be looking for work. To I, I got to go out and get paid. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, your book uh, from 2014. Uh, is there anything that you wish had been included in it, or something that has happened that you would really like to share with listeners today? We finished. We, I said, we, I mean, myself and Greg King, who was a co-writer on the book, decided to stop the story at, in in 2010, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, before that, even 2004. So there's a lot, a lot that's happened since 2004. It was, a, I think, the right place to stop at the time, but uh, there is always the possibility in some universe of a volume two. <laughs> I don't know, but but I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not. I haven't given it any thought at all. I'm I, I'm actually writing songs, and I intend to at some point do an album of, of other people's songs, which I've always wanted to do, or at least have for many years wanted to do. Um, so those those are that's about as deep as I'm thinking of of planning. It's a it's an interesting time to be around. It's uh, especially this week in the United States. <laughs> this is true. Uh, election week, it's it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was reading your book, and there's a significant political section about what was going on in the countries that you were visiting. And I would recommend that listeners read the book for so many reasons. Uh, yes, it is a memoir, and you actually you're very candid about personal things, but also about political events. And I want to thank you for writing that and highlighting the plights of so many people and situations that I wasn't aware of a lot of what was going on in those countries because I wasn't there when they were happening. Well, I know I know uh, that there's an embarrassment in some circles about exposing political stuff. There's there's one or two festivals that I'll never get asked back to and and one or two TV shows that I can't do because they, because I'm too political, quote unquote, which they don't mean too political. They mean too left wing. 
you know, they, I mean, you can go on there and wave a, wave a U.S. flag and, and, and spout right wing views and no one will, you know, they'll be happy to have you back. <laughs> you can be that kind of political, but not the other kind. So there's, I mean, there is that. I haven't, I don't think I've paid a terrible price for things. I think somebody like Jackson Brown might have paid a bigger price because he was already higher profile when he, he started talking about Central America, for instance, and they shut him down. I mean, they didn't shut him down. He's still out there doing it and being a good, great artist, but, uh, but he doesn't get on the radio the way he used to. And, and when he does, it's only the old hits that were the sort of predate his political, um, manifestations. So, mm-hmm. Well, I wrote a book on Canadian classical composer Barbara Pentland, who lived from 1912 to 2000, and she was a post-tonal composer. But a lot of her compositions, they touched on social and political issues. One of them was called uh, Small Pieces for Shrinking Planet, and it was about the dirty war, the Guerra Sucia in Argentina. There's a political awareness and social consciousness that Canadian art has, and it started with artists such as yourself, You've traveled the world extensively. Is this something that happens a lot in other cultures with their art, or, or is it just here? I think we, if, if we're comparing ourselves to the United States, uh, it's a bit more obvious in Canada that kind of interest and that, and that kind of subject matter shows up more readily. But, uh, I mean, that's leaving out a lot of people. But there's the problem is in the states there's all kinds of artists doing that sort of stuff, but they don't get heard, you know. But it's someone like Laurie Anderson, for instance, or um, Ani DeFranco are, are, you know, pretty upfront about various political things in different ways. But where you, where you really notice it, and like I grew up thinking, I grew up being taught it wasn't uh, something I thought of. That that you should never mix art and politics. That the art would be tainted by any kind of whiff of the political, and I and I believed it for a long time. And then cracks sort of appeared in that belief early on in the seventies, but um, or in the sixties, even when the you know when there were, I mean, a lot of what was called protest music was terrible, but some of it was really great too, and. Like Masters of War, nobody's ever written a better song than that. So there was there was that as well. But uh, in Latin America, for instance, writing about political themes was never strange for them. It was always accepted and, and always kind of one of the ways in which political dissent could be expressed culturally. And uh, when journalists couldn't do it without fear of being shot or there there weren't other outlets for it, or maybe people just didn't want to uh, express it, but the songwriters were showing up in, in droves with critical uh, ideas. And so and I think of Fela Kuti in, in Nigeria writing stuff, and he was famous enough when he got really critical of, of the government. He was hugely famous uh, worldwide, so they couldn't do much to him. I think he also lived in a fortress, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but he must've gone out sometimes and, and, and he got away with it, but, but whereas other people might not, but, but did, I think 
I think a lot of cultures don't have any kind of compunction about putting political things in. At the same time, you'll hear artists say, "Oh, I, you know, I just want to talk about the 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 positive things in life," or "I don't want to separate myself from potential audience by." engaging in political uh, uh, discourse that might alienate people. You know, that's a, which is a legitimate argument. I, you, that's a choice to make. So, you know, I don't know. But there's lots, I think, there's there's lots of political art around. Well, I'd like to thank you for your art and your musical excellence. It's inspired many musicians and created a loyal fan base worldwide and also for your songs, they help us try to make sense of this unpredictable and ever-changing world. And it's uh, it's been a tremendous pleasure speaking with you today. Oh, it's nice to talk to you too. Thanks for for having me with you. This is Rhea Beaumont with the legendary Bruce Coburn. Please visit the website Canada's Musical Mosaic for additional materials, and you can visit my guest's website at brucecoburn.com. This interview is also available at CanadianCulturePodcast.com, which features notable Canadians such as director Don Shabib, who was mentioned in this episode, and Marshall McLuhan's grandson, Andrew. You can support the podcasts at Patreon.com slash Beaumont. Thanks for listening. Until next time.